We continue our series in Ephesians, from Ephesians chapter 2. The last time I spoke on verses 11 through to 13, which I'll read. Therefore remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So I spent most of the previous sermon talking about verses 11 and 12, about the fact that we were separated, alienated, and strangers. Today I want to bring our focus more to verse 13. Let's pray. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son is the bread of life. And today we ask that you would help us to feed on him through your word that we might taste the goodness of the Lord and rejoice in him. In Jesus' name, amen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a couple of questions that arise for me. Um, one is about them being far off and being brought near. It doesn't say who they are brought near to or what they are brought near to. So that's a question that needs answering. And the second thing is the blood of Christ. They've been brought near by the blood of Christ, but how does the blood of Christ bring the, the Gentiles close? Now Paul has been talking about Gentiles and Jews. So when he talks about those who once were far off, he's talking about the Gentiles, those who were already near, are the Jews. So is he saying then that now all Gentiles are close to all Jews? And the answer is no. And how do I know? Because it's got the words, in Christ. In Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, so is he saying that the Gentile Christians have now been made near to the commonwealth of Israel, the historic biblical people of Israel? And to that you can give a weak yes. Yes, he could be saying something like that. And the reason I say that is because before these Gentiles became Christians, they would have had their own gods. Now they've got God, the God of Israel. He's the same God as all the Jews had. That's a weak yes. However, I think that Paul is using the words in Christ, not only to talk about the Gentile Christians, but the Jewish Christians himself and others. It's in Christ that those two groups have been brought close together. The Gentile Christians have come close to the Jewish Christians. 
That's my understanding. And this has happened by the blood of Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about blood. And today we're going to look into that and get the background of the blood of Christ. We're going to start in Genesis and spend quite a bit of the sermon there. And those first five books called the books of the law or the books of Moses. Then we're going to go on and look at a, an example from a prophet. Then we'll move to the New Testament and see what Jesus had to say about it himself and the events that surrounded Jesus' death. And then we'll go to one New Testament letter and find an interpretation of what their understanding is of the blood of Jesus. We'll give a quick mention to Revelation since we started in Genesis. And at the end, I just want to come back to this verse 13 and and just tie it in together to the verse. Come with me on our Bible journey. We're going to start off with Adam and Eve. Now, it's strange you may think that the first reference I'm going to give doesn't mention the blood. However, if you use your mind, you can understand that the blood must be there. Genesis chapter 3. So in Genesis chapter 3, God has found that the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, have sinned because of the serpent's temptation. So God has dealt out punishment to the serpent and to Eve and to Adam. After that, it says in verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Garments of skin. Where did the skin come from? It was animal skin. There must have been death. God clothed Adam and Eve with garments of skin so that when God looks at them now or at that time, he didn't just see straight through to who they were, but he saw them covered with something that had been sacrificed. And so right from the beginning, we understand that the blood and sacrifice has to do with covering sin. The very next mention of blood is in the next chapter, chapter 4. You remember that Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain the older and Abel. And in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. This is the first death, human death in God's creation. He'd made Adam and Eve and saw that everything was very good. And now there's a death. The first human dies. And here we see the preciousness of the blood. 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. It makes you wonder how God reacted when his son, Jesus, died on the cross and his blood soaked down into the ground. We do know that it's mentioned as the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus is also crying out, but speaking of forgiveness. Next we move over to the story of Noah. Noah's had his time in the ark. He's come out with the families and the animals. This is in chapter 8 near the end. In verse 20 it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So here we have another sacrifice. Now it's interesting, this is before long before uh, the sacrifices that Moses had to take um, sit up. So even before the law, people understood that there must be sacrifice if they want to come to God. In the very next chapter, chapter 9, from verse 4, God gives instructions to Noah, You shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood, and for your life, but I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. So if a beast kills a person, or another person calls a person, God will require a reckoning. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So there again, we see the value of life. And the value of blood, the only payment that can cover the loss of life through murder is the loss of another life, which again can lead us in our minds to think of Christ and how he covered sins, including the sin of murder. Well, that's... Genesis. Let's move over now to Exodus. Mel read from chapter 12 about the Passover. She read from verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read from verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. 
and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So a couple of things to notice about the Passover. First, it stopped them from being punished. It kept the destroyer from them. Secondly, and this is what we notice from now on in the Old Testament, this was for the people of Israel. Before it was Adam and Eve, it was Noah representing all mankind. Now there's a focus coming in to one group of people, the people of Israel. That's brought out more in verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. So using Paul's New Testament language, no Gentile can eat this. The Gentiles were separated, alienated, strangers. Let's move on to another use of the blood in chapter 24 of Exodus. Chapter 24, verses 3 through to 8. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The blood of the covenant. The blood was used in the making of covenants. Not every covenant. For one covenant, God used a rainbow. For another covenant, he used circumcision. But to sacrifice an animal and use its blood was used in the making of a covenant. This is what we call the Old Covenant, or the Law of Moses. So, blood is used to cover sins. Blood is used in in making covenants. And now we're seeing that the blood and its effects are being limited to the people of Israel. We move over now to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus, it's uh, fifth, fourth, fourth book, no, third book, <laughs> third book. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 16 from verse 1. 
we'll read bits and pieces. I'll guide you as we go through. This is all about the Day of Atonement. So we've had the Passover. Now we're talking about the Day of Atonement. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Let's skip down to verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. Skip to verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions or their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. So we see again that the atonement, the blood, is to cover sin. It's because of their transgressions. And again, what that high priest did once a year was to make atonement for himself and his household and also for the assembly of Israel. No atonement was ever made for a Gentile. No atonement was ever made for a foreigner. Just as a side note over in chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, I have an interesting point to make up about the blood. Leviticus 17, verse 10, If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And we can relate that straight to Christ. But in this situation, like I said, it was only for the people of Israel. But that's the value of the blood. That's the value of life. That it can make atonement for sins. So we've spent some time here in the book of the law, the books of Moses. Again, the main point is that the blood is for the covering of sin, like Adam and Eve were covered, and the forgiveness of sin. Uh, blood was used for a covenant, and blood and its effects were limited to one group, the people of Israel. Does anything change? Well, let's skip over to the prophets. One of the most famous prophecies. When I say those words, you should all really have it in your mind what I'm going to say next. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. 
We'll read just a short passage of it. Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, the passage doesn't mention blood, but this person was pierced, this person was wounded. What a big change. He's talking here about a, a human being as a sacrifice. Instead of iniquity being laid on animals, it's now laid on a person. And when he uses the words, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, is he maybe um, hinting at an expansion to people outside of Israel? I think perhaps he is, as you see in the last verse, the last part of the last verse, uh, verse 12, says, yet he bore the sin of many. He bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. So let's leave the Old Testament and go into the New. The events around the death of Jesus. And particularly when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So like Isaiah, he uses the word many. Notice it's the blood of the covenant. The blood was used in making covenants. When Luke tells of this happening here, Luke says, the blood of the new covenant. This is not the covenant of Moses. This is a new covenant made by Jesus. And it's poured out for many. And it's for the forgiveness of sins. So we see something that's changed from the Old Testament. Yes, it's blood is used for covenants. Yes, blood is used for the forgiveness of sins. But this time, the blood is poured out for many. Move over to John chapter 1. Are there any restrictions now? John chapter 1 verse 29. John the Baptist is speaking. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You'd expect him to say, who takes away the sin of Israel. Because it's been exclusive to Israel. Not once during the hundreds and hundreds of years from the time of Moses through to the New Testament time was one sacrifice ever made for a Gentile. 
and now somebody did. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No wonder he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's a major change in the covenant. It's not just for Israel. Let's move over now to a letter which talks about these things. I've chosen the letter of Hebrews. I've skipped over Romans and many other letters between. There's lots more to say, but because we've read those Old Testament passages, I thought the part from Hebrews would be, would be good to read. Now we'll read from Hebrews chapter 9. And I'll read from verse 6. Hebrews 9, 6. <clears throat> These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. We read about that. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Verse 9 Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper. All those sacrifices that were made, yes, God saw them and God forgave, but they didn't perfect the conscience of the worshippers. As we know from Hebrews, the things in the Old Covenant we're but shadows of things to come. Carrying on from verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What the animal sacrifices could not do, Christ's could. Same chapter, verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. We read that in Exodus. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. 
Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Again, the contrast between the animal sacrifices, the shadows, the copies, and the reality of Christ. One more passage from Hebrews, the very next chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we've talked about how the Gentiles were excluded from all the Old Testament sacrifices. And here we learn that those Old Testament sacrifices were very limited in what they could do, being just copies and shadows of what was to come. Well, since we started in Genesis, as I promised, we'd go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. And we'll start from verse 6. Revelation 5, verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What a contrast from just Israel through the animal sacrifices to people from every tribe and language and people and nation by the real sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As they go on to say in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory 
and blessing. That brings us back to wrapping it up in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul speaking as a Jew. Something had happened to Paul. He also had come to realize that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were not potent. Not able to change him. Not able to give him a clear conscience. Not able to remove the consciousness of sins from him. Paul, like all the other Jewish Christians, has taken refuge in the blood of Christ, the only blood that works. And so it's as a person in Christ, a person who has been brought near himself by the blood of Christ to God, that Paul recognizes the Gentiles. You who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's the same blood. Both groups have come under the same blood, the same covering of sin, the same new covenant. Yes, the Gentile Christians of Ephesus have been brought near to Jewish Christians all through the blood. Let's pray. Yes, no wonder, Heavenly Father, the the saints and the angels and the beings in heaven give great praise to the Lamb of God. The Lamb who, whose blood brought people from every tribe and every language, every nation. To their voices we join ours and say to you, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen.